Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Salties Podcast, Dwayne Rollins in Toronto. Kevin Laramie joins me in Montreal. Kevin, how are things out there today? Uh, sunny, hot, warm, uh, victory in the playoff, uh... Well, uh, we cannot really ask for more in the soccer world in Montreal right now. It's we're on cloud nine. Absolutely, and if you're looking for a breakdown of the uh, the four one derby win for Montreal, you're going to have to go back and listen to two S extra for Friday. Uh, Kevin and I talked about it fresh that day. All the uh, eating of crow happened in that show. We're not going to be talking about TFC very much today at all, if at all. Uh, maybe a little bit of uh, Jonathan Osario from a national team perspective, but other than that, today's show will be TFC free. Friday's show, however, will be a breakdown of the entire season where we will get into the details of it and all that. So don't worry, we'll get there. But uh, we're going to focus more on the positives of Canadian soccer right now, not the negatives of of the loss. Um, speaking of positives, Kevin, we have a great guest today. Do you want to introduce what the guest we have? We have captain of the National Team of Canada, Canadian Men's National Team, Julian de Guzman, joins us today to talk about his season with the Ottawa, the qualifying for the playoff in Ottawa, the shutout streak, the national team. A great 15-minute interview with Julian de Guzman we have today. We'll have the playoff Canadian review later today as well, where we'll break down the Montreal win over Columbus, where Montreal grabbed the first leg, Dwayne. He did grab the first leg. Uh, Columbus and so did got- DJA. Yeah, DJ, yeah, he uh, he got all the was involved in a lot of the goals. DJ was, wasn't he? Unfortunately, he was, uh, but he wasn't the goal scorer at any point. He was maybe he's almost a scapegoat in that game. Where if Montreal would have lost, it would have been maybe on his shoulders because he was trying to do too much. But we'll talk about that later. Fair enough. But first off, we have Julian on de Guzman. Uh, Julian on de Guzman. No, it's Julian de Guzman on. He's going to talk about the Ottawa Fury, their amazing run, which uh, will uh, have a playoff game here in uh, here in Canada, here in Ontario. The first ever playoff, professional playoff game in the MLS era, hosted in Ontario, is the Ottawa Fury, even though they're in the NASL. Does that make sense, Kevin? Well, it's the first playoff game hosted since there's a team in Toronto. So, uh, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to the Lynx days. It's been a long time since there was a professional playoff soccer game in Ontario, but there will be one next weekend with the Fury. Because the Julian... Lynx were bad to it in days, Wayne. Oh, I've told the story before that the, the group that I affiliate with, uh, Youth Sector, was, was formed for a, a, a Toronto Lynx playoff game, and that was in the year 2000. The game in Montreal was the second Toronto playoff game that U Sector had been around for. So it had been 15 years between games. Uh, so I guess there, there's your answer. The last playoff game to take place in Ontario was in 2000. Oi, 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 oi. All right. Let's bring Julian on and talk about some positives and get out of this negative Toronto stuff. By the way, the game is November 8th at TD Place. Get your tickets. We'll see you there. Julian de Guzman. Headed out by Maddox. De Guzman, the winner! And welcome back to the Two Salties Podcast. Joining us now is the captain of Team Canada, a man who knows needs no introduction, Julian de Guzman. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on the great season with Ottawa, and uh, I'm glad to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. 
Let's take a, a step back and talk about why you decided to come to Ottawa. It was a decision that sort of, I think, uh, caught a lot of people off guard that were following your career. It's a, a decision that not a lot of players in your situation might have made. But just tell me what went through and what went into that decision. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I just like the the whole idea of uh, playing for a Canadian national or a Canadian club team. Um, and uh, I mean, I had that experience at Toronto FC. Uh, it gave me a, a a chance to understand what's going on in Canada, um, as opposed to just playing for the national team, but at, at least club level. And um, you know, Ottawa's a, it's a growing club. They're going to the second year, and I figured uh, um, it's just it's a good suit for for myself to uh, be involved with, especially now that uh, you know, as in terms of my career age, it's becoming you know older. Um, still, still young overall, but it's something that I may have to really consider in terms of the transition from player to, to whatever it becomes. But um, I just like to uh, continue to learn more about what's going on in Canada with, with the Canadian football and uh, and playing for a team like Ottawa, who seem to have the the, the right tools in, in place to to have a successful team. Um, that, that that definitely helped my decision uh, into, into coming here. You mentioned the success, and I think it's caught a lot of people off guard as well. How successful the Fury have been this year, capturing the fall championship, coming very close to capturing the overall championship, uh, going to host a home play and or sort of postseason game. Did you have any idea that the team would be this successful this quickly when you joined them? No, I don't think a lot, a lot of people thought um, you know we would um, produce these type of results and you know make the playoffs um, going into the second year, but. Um, you know, so I had a chance to speak to Mark for for a couple months, you know, before uh, or prior to joining here, and um, I, I really like the, the whole uh, project and his uh, his philosophy that, that he had for uh, for the Canadian club, and it's the first time uh, you know I had such a very warm feeling about uh, about what good Canadian coaches could could finally bring to uh, to the Canadian product, and uh, I mean, and Mark's definitely that guy. Uh, for club level, so um, you know, go, go coming here now and, and seeing the, the facilities that they have and and the players that he's brought in and and, and what what he wants from them, um, it definitely set, so supports uh, Canadian footballers, uh, especially guys coming out of uh, uh, young players coming out of uh, Ottawa or in any parts of the city that uh, that have a professional team. This is exactly how uh, I think a lot of teams should follow. Um, if there are any more teams to, to join professional levels, whether it's NESL or, or MLS. Julian, I want to bring you back to the shutout streak of the Fury that finished the spring season and started the fall season. What was the belief in the team in that time? It seemed like you were invincible. And what did the team learn that helped them be really successful in the fall season during that uh, shutout streak? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't an easy um, spring season. Um, I mean, we we didn't lose a lot of games. Uh, we, we didn't win a lot of games either. But um, the team was it was really able to gel together and become a, a strong unit uh, through uh, through those hard struggles. And then, I mean, we were obviously missing just the, the finishing touch, which which was pretty much goals. And um, we strongly believed that it was going to come our way. And I mean, even though we had players, a uh, new players join us in fall, um, it was pretty much still the same core guys. And spring, who uh, who predominantly led the team going into uh, fall with other additions and like such as uh, the captain Ryan Ritchie and and uh, you know when he's fit 
and everyone around him. Um, you could see that the team moving forward the, the way we did uh, in, in fall. So um, uh, it, it's it's funny when you look at the the team that we have. It, it you know, and a lot of guys talk about it too. It's uh, you could easily rotate players in, in, in positions coming on off the bench, rest them or whatnot, um, and everyone's still able to maintain that same level. Um, that, uh, that that's expected or whatever it was we left in the last game and, and uh, keep up with it. So uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, great group of guys. Uh, the change rooms, uh, it's one of the best changes I've been involved with uh, during my career. And um, uh, it, it's these fine details that, uh, that that really keeps a team sharp and, and successful. And it's something that a lot of teams need to learn uh, or Canadian clubs need to learn down the road. In the NASL, especially for a Canadian club, Ottawa, but especially more Edmonton, but Ottawa as well, the travel is an issue. It's a very big schedule, long schedule, and the travel is not easy. How how does it affect the players in the NASL, Julian, in Ottawa, all the travel is necessary during the regular season? And you, are you happy the playoffs are here because you actually know where you're going and it's only one place? Oh, yeah. I mean, travel is always, uh, always an issue. And, and I mean, the way the way it's been handled uh, uh, this year, surprisingly, I've, I've, uh, I'm pretty impressed. I mean, it's not easy to get direct flights from Ottawa to a lot, a lot of the destinations we, we fly out to. So it's a lot of connecting flights and, and the journeys are long. But um, uh, the way everything's handled and prepared uh, in terms of like recovery uh, in between the, the, the games and, and travel, um, you could you could see that uh, everyone's on top of uh, of what needs to be taken care of to to help the players uh, perform at their best. So that's uh, that's something that uh, the team, the club has uh, really prepared themselves for, which is which is why you could see we do very well, especially on the road. Um, but I think it's a it's a great uh, accomplishment to have um, the semifinals at home. Um, it's great it's great for the fans for the city. Uh, it's it's just great for the game in general for the for the country. To, uh, to to finally uh, celebrate a, a special moment like this, and I mean to get a win, and uh, I think that's the, that's the best way to to give back uh, to to the fans uh, for, for this game on on Sunday. Uh, Julian, you mentioned earlier that that you like the structure and you like the project that's happening at Ottawa, and I you also at the Canadian national team level sort of like working with the younger kids that are in that program. So can you maybe highlight to us some young Canadians that you're seeing with the Fury right now that uh, that are exciting you? Oh yeah, I mean, um, I mean, for, there's one that's done really well, and uh, is Mauro Stacchio. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he, he, I mean, he came in beginning of the season, and you could see he he felt it would have been very difficult for him to to even, you know, make the make the squad with the amount of players that we had uh, coming in and out. But then, I mean, I I told him this game's funny. It works works. Uh, it works. Things happen very fast. You know, I mean, his job is just to be prepared for when the time does come, and. Uh, you know, guys are getting injured, and uh, he he filled in each position very well. And um, I mean, it, it, he eventually earned himself a call up to the uh, Olympic team. And um, I think that's a great example of uh, how uh, I would have, I would like to imagine young Canadians um, getting their chance at professional level and uh, getting some type of exposure at international level as well. And um, and Maro done uh, pretty pretty much that. Hopefully, set, set that trend for for other Canadians to, to follow. Julian, you're about to play a playoff game. It's something when you played abroad that is not necessarily in your mind. Uh, what's different approaching a postseason game compared to a regular game uh, for a team like the Ottawa Fury? Yeah, it's uh, the difference. It's, it's it's one game. Uh, it's, it's a do or die game. Um, 
So there, there's only there's only gonna be one winner. There's just it's not a tie, and uh, that that's the uh, that's the idea we we have so far. I mean, you know, Minnesota's a, a very strong team. They they actually beat us um, at home in the in the fall season, and uh, and I think it's um, it's it's important that we we know we're gonna face against teams that are that are that are very strong and competitive, and um, that's exactly what we expect. So um, it's it's just that. We cannot let our emotions to take over. We should be, uh, we obviously have to stick to the plan and and uh, continue uh, to be, you know, disciplined and organized like we've always been. And um, you know, play our football. Uh, I think the type of football we've produced so far has been very effective. Um, you know, a lot of people may say it's not the most attractive like the other teams, such as uh, Jacksonville may play or, or Fort Lauderdale. But um, at the end of the day, it gets it gets the results for us, and uh, and then that's that's all that's all that's important right now. With this uh, this Sunday is the result. Uh, Julian, talk talk about Minnesota a little bit as an opposition. Um, what is the key to beating them? Uh, what are their their strong points that you need to uh, to neutralize? Yeah, they're they're very strong from uh, you know from the midfield going and, and they attack. They they combine very well. Um, they're uh, they're also very physical, and um, and I mean it's a team that will that will give us a lot of problems. Uh, uh, going forward, because uh, they're, they're they're really organized, so we have to play our game. We have to be very patient, and um, I mean, yeah, it's great that we have the home advantage as well. But uh, it's just important that uh, we, I mean, we 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 just stick to our plan. We're going to get chances like we always do in every game, and um, I mean, and then there'll be moments that we need to control. And if we can control the game uh, uh, in terms of like possession-wise or or whether we're organized in their defense, and make it very difficult for them. That that's that, that's our advantage right there, and that's that's what frustrates a lot of uh, uh, teams when when they come to play against us in, in Ottawa. Uh, Julian, I had the opportunity last week to talk to a young player in Kyle Lauren that, that highlighted yourself as someone that he really looks up to within the national team program. Um, I just want to get your opinion on, on the ceiling for that kid. How, how good is Kyle Lauren? How how far can he go? Do you think? Oh man, that for for him he. He, the sky's the limit for that boy. I mean, <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's a it's a special situation because I mean you have a you have an entire country who who's expecting him to to score goals now, and, and he's only 20. He just finished his first year professional, so I mean that's one thing you have to kind of remind him sometimes. And I like I like to talk to him about. Uh, I mean, no need to worry about all those pressures. Just do your thing. Uh, enjoy it. I mean, because that's that's exactly. What he's been doing this season, and uh, and and a lot of a lot of goals been coming his way as well. So, um, but I know when you do play at the international level, it's a different type of pressure, different type of expectation, and, and it's very short. So, um, he he has a lot going for him, and he's only his first year. I mean, he has, he has many years ahead of him, many more goals, and um, you know, it's it's just more important that he gets a lot of recovery time for now because. It's going to be a very busy uh, next couple of years, especially um, if we stay involved in the World Cup qualifiers. And uh, and I know how the MLS seasons can be a bit uh, a bit hectic with the games and the, and the travel. So um, hopefully he gets some good recovery time and uh, we have him fresh for, uh, for November. Speaking of World Cup qualifiers, you have a very important game. The uh, last round before the X starting in mid-November, November 13, to be precise, Julian. Uh, how important is is this for Canada? How important is this round, and how confident is the team heading into it? It's it, this is very this is very important. I mean, it's it's um, we're finally having um, 
the team I think a lot of people have always wanted to, to see on the field. Uh, you know, with Junior Hoylet there, uh, who came up to the, at the camp. Uh, the Lucas came out. I mean, it's, it's good to finally see a lot of guys um, giving themselves a chance to, to be a part of this. And um, when you have committed players with such quality like that, uh, ready to play for, for their country, um, you know, it, 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 it just shows that, uh, you know, there are steps being made forward. Now we have to bring the results behind that. And I think with the quality that we could per, per, pretty much have on the pitch, I think the results is, uh, is, is very uh, is mandatory. So um, that being said, you know, tough game against, it's a tough game against these teams like Honduras and El Salvador. How quick can these players adapt to that type of uh, conditions um, in CONCACAF? It's a lot different than it is in Europe. And uh, it's, it's important that uh, we, we lead them into uh, understanding in, in the situation very quick because um, it's for a lot of the times that for European players, it's a culture shock when you play in these conditions. So um, and these games are crucial when you play at home. The points are, are very important. To lose points is it's, it's, it's damaging because going on the road over there it's a lot harder, and um, so we need to we need to start this uh, this campaign with a with a win. And if we could get the win against Honduras, I'm pretty sure we could we could get a, a result in the Salvador. No one wants to dwell on the negative, Julian. But the way that the last campaign ended, uh, you do have to focus on that a little bit because it was so dramatic. What was learned that day in Honduras, and is this an opportunity to to move past it when you play that uh, reverse leg again down there this this time? What we learned in Honduras was the fact that we couldn't score against Honduras at home. So if we could get a result, then that's why I mean I said earlier to lose points at home is very crucial. Um, we dominated. I remember dominating that game at home. Uh, we had a, a clear chances. You put one away, then. That that game is uh, irrelevant and and Honduras, but so that means I know it's uh, it was a harsh way of uh, of exiting the uh, World Cup qualifiers, and um, I mean normally with the amount of points that we collected that group stage, um, in most cases you you make it to the hex, but that wasn't the case, and um, uh, it, it's it's important again that we 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 know what's at stake here. Uh, I mean we're playing for a lot of pride and uh, also. Uh, respect, but we we know that we have the backing of the fans, and I mean it's going to be um, it's going to be something special now. We, you know, playing in Vancouver as well, and uh, different different grounds. I mean, it's going to be different for for Honduras as well. But we we know that the result it, it means it means the world to us, especially the first game of the of the World Cup qualifiers. If we get that win, then it changes everything. Uh, Julian, I have one final question that I that, that my listeners gave me to ask you. It's it's a tough one to end it. Uh, they want to know if you, you do qualify for Russia, uh, whether you'll grow your hair long again like you had in the, the later part of the last <laughs> decade. Unfortunately, my genes doesn't allow that anymore. Uh, <laughs> I've surpassed that stage of, uh, of hair growing. So <laughs> You and me both, Julian. All right, thanks very much, and, and good luck against uh, Minnesota. Hope to see you in the soccer bowl and uh, obviously on to the heck soon enough. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramie. Email twosolitudespodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Bay Player. Yeah, listen to the show. Now listen to us flow. Yeah. Now the hospitality. That's how we do.
back to the show. And welcome back. And thanks again to Julian for joining us. That's the third time I've spoken to Julian de Guzman uh, in an interview uh, perspective. And uh, he really has changed a lot since the first time I talked to him. Not, not in a bad way. I'm not saying he was a bad person back then or anything like that. But it's just that those years from 2009, the first time I interviewed him, Kevin, to 2015, they, you really can tell it in his voice. that He's much more reflective now. And that's why when people sort of question whether he should be in a leadership position at the Canadian national team, and there are players. There are people in Toronto that do that because of his their experience with him here in Toronto. And he, I, that's a complicated question for another day that we're going to leave aside. But I don't have that same issue because when I hear him talk now, I hear a very different human being than that I heard uh, six, seven years ago. And I hear a much more mature and reflective and a guy that really seems to care about Canadian soccer and the evolution of it. So I, that's what I take away from talking to him today. I compare it to my uh, previous conversations with him and, and I walk away feeling pretty confident that he's a good person to be in that Canadian national team dressing room right now, let alone the Ottawa Fury dressing room. No, exactly. And we only heard good things from him from Ottawa. A great experience. He's bringing a lot of leadership, a lot of stability and knowledge in that midfield, in that locker room. So uh, it's really a positive experience for all the parties involved with the Julian de Guzman season in Ottawa this year. Yeah, and you know it would be an interesting it would be interesting to see what happens if I think Julian's going to stick around for for the rest of qualifying that he'll want to play another year. But if Canada doesn't get a great start in in qualifying. And the Fury were to win a championship. I think that Julian would, would be facing an interesting decision in his career. If he goes out as a champion at the with the Ottawa Fury, that might be something that's positive. But we hope that doesn't happen because we want Canada to still be playing uh, games that matter next March, right? And yes, we do, especially with uh, the shape of things, with the new confidence, according to uh, Julian de Guzman, the way he talks about it. He thinks that finally they have the team that can achieve results in that round and in down there and with the junior roulette and the new players and the new confidence with Kyle Lauren, all those things combined. I think Julian is right. It's the team we always wanted to have for Canada, well, at least for a couple of years. Yeah, I always feel bad asking them about the 8-1 game. But at the same time, I don't think we'd be doing our job if we didn't bring it up because it is so dramatic. It's an outlier. And you have to figure out why that went wrong to make sure it doesn't happen again. And he's right in one hand. And, you know, I would like to see one of them face it a little more head on. But I get why they don't. I mean, you, you want to block it off. You want to move on. Um, I think probably internally they have the discussions that they're not going to publicly have about, you know, people giving up and things like that and and. That's stuff that's never going to come out, at least not for years probably. But um, I do think he is right on the other side of that. And I've, I've said this all along and it is an interesting thing to think about is if Canada had gotten the goal in stoppage time to defeat Honduras at BMO Field in that round, they would have already been qualified. It wouldn't have mattered how big they lost that game. And that is an interesting thing. You need to take care of your home points. And that's why this first game, as terrifying as it is, and we're going to – shift our focus a lot in the days ahead towards this game, starting probably with Friday where we'll have a TFC review and, and likely some Canadian national team chat as well. Uh, that is the is a huge game. It is maybe the biggest game of the round. They need a result. They need three points against Honduras, and if they don't get that, they're behind the eight ball already. They're not eliminated, but they're behind the eight ball already. Do you think um, the choice uh, of BC Place and the turf and all those intangibles were on purpose to maybe get all the advantage. Maybe you don't get the cold this time, but you do get the turf on your side with the team, uh, with Canada's team a little bit more used to it. I don't think it was, no. I don't think there's a strategy like that involved. And um, I think that, 
you know, the BC people, hope, by all accounts, are, are buying tickets for this game, and I think that that's great. And I, I hope that, that continues and that they sell it out, and maybe even uh, sell it out beyond the the artificial sellout the BC place is. I, I hope that happens. Um, however, I do think that they will play the majority of their games in BMO Field when they have a chance to, and that has nothing to do with Toronto versus Vancouver. It's logistical. Uh, Toronto is, has it's more they're more comfortable in Toronto. A lot of their players are from Toronto. It's a grass pitch. Uh, they, it's an easier travel for them. They, they're not making connecting flights. They're flying from Europe. I know these things are, are things that a lot of people outside of the city don't like to hear, but it's the reality of it. And that's why they choose Toronto over, over other cities. Montreal would be an option as well. I think that they, um, had some bad experiences in Montreal in terms of the crowd yeah. composition in the past. And that's why they've resisted going back. But, uh, I, I think Montreal might get another shot at some point. And I think Ottawa deserves a shot as well. Um, I do really strongly believe that that central time zone or sorry, that Eastern time zone matters. And, uh, it's not an argument I'm going to win with the West coasters right now. So we'll leave it at that. I did want to talk about one other Canadian national team issue before, uh, we move on and talk about, uh, some MLS news, some big MLS news that broke last night. And that is the Jonathan Osario, um, blackballing that's happening at the Canadian national team level. John Molinero of Sportsnet reported today on his Twitter feed that he spoke to Azario this week and uh, had learned that he had been informed, Azario had been informed, that is, that he will not be called up for the two games in November that Canada is involved in in qualifying. That makes me go, what? Yep. And according to Osorio, Dwayne, it's, uh, you gotta ask Benito why he's not chosen. So well, do you think that what we saw earlier this summer, basically the issue fit that Osario threw when he was subbed off, and then the relations started to go downwards for both the parties involved? And is this a result again of that relationship? Well, it has to be, yeah. And I think there's there are some logistical things at play in terms of the players that, that Floro sees in front of them, in terms of the tactics that Floro wants to play, um, that he does view this team as not having room for three creative players in the midfield. He has Will Johnson and uh, Tiba Hutchison ahead of him already. Both those guys are older in their career, uh, have elements of Osario's game. But having watched Osario play week in, week out here in Toronto and watching the evolution of his game playing alongside Javenko, I think it's absurd to not have him on there. He's at a point in his career and you can't, he's kind of like Laba out West to use a non-Canadian example that if you don't watch week in and week out, you don't understand how important he is to what is happening on the pitch. Osario is more than pure stats in terms of goals and assists. He is about that linkage play and he is absolutely key to everything that TFC does offensively. And, you know, that that's not TFC's problem, right? <laughs> he absolutely was part of a very successful offensive unit. And he does some link-up play in the past. His tidiness with the ball is something that very, very, very few Canadians have. And it is just getting to the point of pure absurdity that he's not involved in the starting 11 with Canada. I forget. Not even it's not even about not getting called up. He should be starting. He should be starting every game. He's you absolutely work formations to make sure that he's is in it, and that is a check against Floro. I'm not an anti-Floro guy. I'm not one of these guys that calls for Floro's head. There are people out there right now that have I think unrealistic expectations of what the Canadian national team should be doing week in week out. That do yeah. I'm not one of them. But in this particular case, Kevin, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. And you're not the only one. There's been uh, quite an outcry on Twitter today because of that uh, news that Osario won't be part of the team for the upcoming camp. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, we'll continue to monitor that, obviously. But it, it is—it's a strange decision, and uh, especially when you got guys like uh, Will Johnson that are involved in MLS playoffs that maybe have a little bit more grind on their body right now. Maybe are getting beat up a little bit more. And, and if you're going to give a little bit of a rest for one of those players, maybe Will Johnson would have made more sense to leave off the roster. We'll find out later this week who is on that roster. We'll confirm whether Molinero's report is true. Although John Molinero is as straight an edge of a reporter as professional as a reporter as you will find in this in this game and uh if he john says it it's true he's he's not making stuff up he's not a guy that's clickbaits uh john is is as good as they get so if he's saying it's true i believe it um speaking of something that i don't need a report for because it's official jason christ oddly out at new york city fc kevin that that came out that broke last night around six o'clock we heard rumblings at the beginning of uh last week that that might happen but I was surprised to see it happen officially last night, right? Yeah, and it you know people are losing their mind over this because it seems like a really silly decision by NYCFC. Some unrealistic expectations by a group that people have already accused of not understanding the league. Um, obviously, I have my own personal biases with the City Football Group and what they do in Manchester. But uh, I can separate those and look at this from a purely MLS perspective and agree with those perspectives. Jason Christ deserves more than one year to try and build a program. And that makes me wonder whether City Football Group is not necessarily as concerned about the MLS structure as it is about what makes sense for their overall structure. And that's not something that that a lot of MLS fans like to hear. Uh, they want it to all be about victory and, and, you know, glory at the MLS level and to not have, you know, Manchester at all involved in the equation or the thinking that goes into decision making. But I can't understand – either they're incompetent and made a really dumb decision, which is possible, or they have made a decision that is influenced by needs at the Manchester level. And that's either, – either one of those should um, concern New York City FC fans. Yeah, it could be that they need a place for a young coach to get some experience and they designated MLS as the place. So, Jason Christ, goodbye. It could be that. It could be in the meetings uh, – uh, Alex Antopoulos style uh, having clash of opinions in a meeting decided to part ways after uh, after the uh, end of season briefing. It could be that. There's a lot of possibilities. Now, what is interesting, and not just in New York, but now in the whole league-wide, is if you have a coach that's on the cusp of staying or leaving, now you have Jason Christ free, a free agent that you can hire as your coach in Major League Soccer. Does that influence... Uh, general manager's decision to fire a coach now that you have Jason Christ available, i.e. Greg Vanny. Does having Jason Christ out there, free agent, be able to uh, get, get hired by MLS? He could be maybe uh, an indication that Vanny could lose his job. I would have said Montreal, but Biello is probably, if not for sure, has an offer on the table, and I know he's going to accept it because look at the result he had over the last 13 games, and he has done wonders for this club. So uh, it faces Toronto. The, the season didn't end the way they wanted. There's a rumblings that Vanny might be in jeopardy. Jason Christ is available. Uh, one plus one is equal to maybe? I, I don't think that will happen, and okay. I base that on a few things. Um, based on there, there's nothing in the evidence of the current management group at TFC that they're going to be knee jerk and they're and they're hiring and firing with coaches. It's they're generally a punchline with an MLS of how often they've fired coaches. Um, I don't think they want to continue that punchline, even if a guy like Jason Christ is available. Um, Bill Manning, who is the president, who has worked with Jason Christ, obviously uh, that 
adds to those rumors, um, which I don't, they're not really rumors so much as they're, they're fans speculating and wishing really, really hard for something. Yeah, just analyzing the situation and making maybe, maybe seeing a fit. Yeah, it, it, that obviously adds to it, Manning and Christ's relationship. But uh, Manning today at the TFC uh, season-ending thing um, said that he, he didn't intend to fire him. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not lying. People are right when they say that. But it also doesn't mean that he's not being truthful. So I, I'll just say that based on my analysis of how Bill Manning operated in Salt Lake City, where he was very patient with his builds and with his coaching, and how uh, – Bezbachenko has been operating with Vanny over the past year and a half. I don't see it happening. Now, I will tell you where I think Jason Christ will likely end up is Chicago. However, I will also say that I will throw a dark horse out there, and I'll include Montreal in the dark horse. I know Biello's uh, success makes that hard, but still when a player, a person like this comes in, you have to think about it. But then again, Joey's sort of weird relationship with MLS might make him not go the conventional MLS route anyway. So I think he may end up in Seattle. And the reason I say Seattle is because you have a working relationship there already from the Salt Lake days. You have a coach in Siggy Schmidt that has taken time off for health reasons this year. If they the Sounders go on to win a championship this year, that might be what the, the signal for Schmidt to step aside, spend time with his family, take care of his health, and then go out on top. If they don't win a championship, that might be the signal to, to move on to a new coach. So to me, if I had to place a dark horse bet right now for Christ, it's Seattle. The working relationship we were talking about is Garth Lagaway, president of Seattle, former president of Real Salt Lake, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. Um, I, quickly, I want to finish my thought the, on, on the NYCFC coaching change and how they're going to do it. It's going to be very interesting to see what how they fill that. And the player that – the person, it's a former player, a former player of very hard, high regard that's being rumored in that position is, is Vieira. It's Patrick Vieira, former Arsenal legend, ended his career with Manchester City. Uh, a lot of people forget that, ended up winning his fifth FA Cup with them. Um, has been coaching in the city system for since he retired. Uh, he is the current head coach of the reserves in their EDS team, which is the elite development squad, their top development side. Uh, their EDS team today beat uh, – Sevilla in the uh, UEFA Champions League to top that group and clinch a spot in the quarterfinals of the UEFA Youth Champions League. So he's been very successful coaching at that level. There has been some speculation, which was kind of underground. People that are informed, people that kind of understand how, how City operates, people that understand how what, what NYCFC might do, have suggested that Vieira might be the name that they put in there, a guy that has very much been in the City fo- football group structure for a while, a guy that will understand what City Football Group wants out of it and a guy that City Football Group wants to continue to expand or continue to grow as a coach because I think ultimately they view him as a guy, an internal guy that might fill their top job one day. So that is a name to watch out there. So the, that kind of ends my speculation for the day. Kevin, any final thoughts on uh, on Christ? No, it would make sense. That's what I was talking about earlier, how maybe they need a place for one of the young coaches. Maybe the coach is not that young, but he's young as a coach to progress and to coach a team in a very competitive level. And maybe that's what they're trying to do in the NYCFC going forward. And where Christ hands up is another important factor in uh, the silly season in the next few months as soon as the MLS Cup is over. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what that hire is. And I think it will tell us a lot about NYC's intent, NYCFC's well, even, intent. Or even if he stays in MLS, who knows? He might uh, take offers uh, somewhere else. Absolutely. All right, let's take a break, come back, do the Canadian and playoff review. The Canadian review on the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. 
And welcome back to the Canadian and Playoff Review. Um, we're gonna. Kevin was at the Impact game, so we will talk a lot about that in a minute. But I did want to start out west with the Whitecaps game in Portland, the nil-nil draw. Um, it's a hard game to break down. It's always hard to break a nil-nil down. This was a particularly dire nil-nil game in my mind. It wasn't wasn't much excitement there. Uruti almost scored a goal at the end for Portland that would have made things a little more interesting. But it was a pretty bad game in a lot of ways if you were a neutral, Kevin. No, uh, Portland was coming off a very emotional and historical night where they played 120 minutes plus 11 rounds of penalty shootout. So they were not necessarily tired, but uh, they had a lot of soccer in their legs coming into the game in Vancouver. But yeah, the travel wasn't really an issue because it's really close to Portland, but it's more... And they were home, first of all, so the travel, they didn't have to travel. Now they're going to Vancouver, which is not far, and they have a whole week to rest. But Vancouver needed that goal to come back home and have the advantage on the away goal, if not just on the score outright. So uh, that's what interests me, is how Vancouver will deal with the pressure that Portland is going to get. Because if Portland gets that goal, Vancouver is really in trouble because they have to score twice to overcome that away advantage in MLS. Okay. Yeah, and, and Vancouver's a team that struggles to score once in a game, and that's exactly how I left it. I know a lot of people, and they're not wrong to do this, but a lot of people are positively spinning the result to suggest that Vancouver should be happier because you want to win your home leg, and there's truth to that, absolutely. But I look at the way Vancouver's been playing down the stretch. I particularly look at their their struggles to score, and I would be really worried if I was a Whitecaps supporter. All it will take is one mistake, one moment, and Portland gets that lead, and they sit back, they're pretty confident that they can maybe even give up two or three chances, two or three good chances even to the Whitecaps, that the Whitecaps may not be able to convert. They've struggled that much to score. It's That said, Portland didn't get the home win. So that is an advantage for the Whitecaps, but I think it's a tiny advantage that is offset by the idea that, that Portland didn't give up an away goal and they can go into Vancouver hoping just to nick one and, and rely on the fact that the Whitecaps have struggled to score this year. To be devil's advocate, though, uh, Vancouver has one, if not the best keeper in the league this season, David Ousted, and I, he is a factor. He was solid in the first leg, keeping the clean sheet, and if he does the same thing at home, which in theory should be easier than on the road, well, Vancouver has a good chance of moving on, so there's always that issue as well. Yeah. All right, uh, uh, we will look to get a Whitecaps guest in for next week's show, I think, to break this down a little bit better. We had Simon Fudge on our previous show that gave us a great breakdown of the Whitecaps, but it's hard to hard to really get into a nil-nil, and we'll leave it at that. I want to talk briefly on the other two games of the weekend before we move into the Impact game to finish off today. Um, I think Dallas not getting a result, even if it was in Seattle, is a bit of a surprise. I kind of expected Dallas to maybe be a little bit better. They did get the first goal, gave up the next two. Dempsey's winner late was brilliant. But, you know, that said, Dallas got the away goal, so they have to be somewhat happy with that. We just sort of spoke on it on the other side of things from the Vancouver perspective, the 2-1 result there. Do you think that favors Seattle or do you think it favors Dallas, Kevin? I think it favors Seattle because they have that one goal advantage right now. Yes, it's at home. It's a similar situation than the impact, if not the exact same one. Uh, but Dallas will be a very different playing condition than it is in Seattle. They won't have their 12th man when they travel to Seattle and uh, to Dallas. And to Dallas, it's been a, a fortress. Dallas has been able with their young team that is uh, mostly made of academy products and has given a certain uh, belonging to the fans and to the players. They want to play for that team, for that badge. And it's very 
very hard to get results in Dallas. So it wouldn't take a lot for Dallas to just get that one goal and have that away goal advantage once again. And it really has changed stuff since the away goal is in effect in the MLS Cup because you don't have to always open up. You can do what you do best. And if it's Dallas, they defend really good. So that is one of the talking points heading to that second line. All right, it'll be very interesting to watch that game. It was an exciting game to watch, too. I thought that was the game that entertained me. Um, yeah, the Montreal-Columbus game was pretty entertaining as well, but uh, in terms of a game that doesn't have a Canadian attachment to it, I thought that was the best of the two um, because basically D.C. United didn't show up to the other one. Uh, I don't know how D.C. United got past New England. I'm still confused by that, but they did. And then they proceeded to become the first team in MLS history to not get a shot on goal in a home playoff game, losing 1-0 at home to the New York Red Bulls. I don't see any way that D.C. turns that around in the second leg, Kevin. No, I was just surprised that New York only got that one goal. A great Dax McCarthy uh, header right into the, the right, very hard header, very direct header that scored for New York. Felipe had a great game from a Montreal player, was involved in all the right timing, all the right plays, and he was really the, the spark for New York. And him combined with the two WPs, it made for a very dangerous New York. And New York, it might be the team to beat in the East right now. We had doubts if it could continue if that uh, small break during the first playoff round was going to affect them. They came out. They didn't play their best game of the year, but they got the job done. One goal on the road plus a win. So DC is actually really in trouble going into Rebel Arena. Yeah, then again, D.C. United has has been dead about four times this season, so yep. who knows. Um, that said, and I think I said this in the last show, I think we're all guilty, and I include like other podcasts, other blogs out there, of, of underestimating what New York is. And New York is the Supporters' Shield champion. Yes, they came out of the East, but they're still the Supporters' Shield champion. Maybe they deserve a little bit more respect. Um, could this be the year that the Metro Stars finally get a trophy, trying to get the big trophy? They've won two Supporters' Shields. I don't know. Maybe. All right. Um, let's move to your game, Kevin. The Impact v. Columbus. Columbus, who I had picked to win this series. You picked the Impact to win this series. It was a very close first game. Uh, two, three goals. Two by uh, the Impact, of course, a late winner uh, there. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on the game? Uh, you know, what were your overall thoughts on the game, Kevin? Columbus is really good at doing things that are not flashy. They're really good at recuperation, of taking that ball back, of of suffocating the other team. Didier Drogba had a feeling that he was suffocated early on on top, so he had to di- to play deeper. He was deep, way too deep, all game long, being almost never into the box, always on free kicks, and I was surprised. It, it had an aura of Didier trying to do too much in the beginning of the game, especially after that goal for about four minutes until Patrice Bernier relieved everybody at Sassaputo. But Montreal had a feeling that they could not get anything, and then it took a, a great moment of brilliance by Bernier being at the right place at the right time. He was got away from his marker on that corner by Donadal. Nice header directly, easy into the goal. Keeper couldn't do nothing about it. And then it was a different game from then on. It seemed Columbus would have been happy with the 1-1 draw because starting in the second half, they were not necessarily sitting back, but they were ready to absorb. And they were trying to get Montreal players sent off. Gaston Sorrow was in the shorts of Didier Drogba, literally, the entire second half. Little hits when the ref's not looking. A lot of gamesmanship between the two. And that almost put Drogba over the edge. We saw Drogba grab the leg of uh, the Clark, uh, Clark, the keeper of Columbus, in a very weird play, very weird scene. 
that is reminiscent of a wrestling match. But that leg hold gave uh, Didi Jogba a yellow card, and that Dwayne could be dangerous because let's not forget in the playoff, it's not five yellows you get a suspension for card accumulation, it's two. So it becomes really dangerous when you're already on one. It, it does speak to maybe a need to pull draw. If let's say Montreal goes down to Columbus and uh, and they get an early goal or something, you might want to even think about taking Drogba out at half. It's kind of a dangerous uh, sort of risk you might make, but might be something you need to do to protect that card as they do reset. And um, it, yeah, if it goes even deeper, you almost want him to get a yellow card to get the suspension so he's clear after to make sure he doesn't miss the final. There's a lot of things that almost becomes a strategy there because two yellows, it's really... Hard and there's no uh, reset. So until the end of the playoffs, there's no reset. So it's really harsh. I think it's a harsh rule, and I think it should uh, maybe be brought to three because two can be uh, very easy if there's a, a referee that's a uh, very strict on the one playoff game and it becomes chippy and uh, there's bad calls. It can really be costing down the road. Yeah, the World Cup made some moves so that players would be uh, not likely to miss games because of yellow card accumulation. Well, they can't miss the final because of yellow card accumulation. That has changed from previous World Cups this past time. I think MLS should do something similar. I think it's really harsh when a player misses the final of a tournament like that because ask, of yellow card. Ask Evan Bush, Dwayne. Evan Bush was distraught when he got that yellow card in uh, Mexico that prevented him to play the second leg in Montreal because he had two yellows in the entire CCL playoff run so uh, this is the same situation it was harsh and it's almost too harsh because it was a one yellow that wasn't warranted in Mexico that cost him the chance to play the final and who knows it might have cost Montreal the game so there's a it's very harsh that rule yeah, absolutely. Um, that, before we move on more to the game, I, there was a report that I probably should have mentioned in the middle segment, but uh, it does fit here as well, that, that Drogba may be lent to Syria in the offseason. Just your initial thoughts on the possibility of, of Drogba going to represent Joey's other club in, in, in Italy. I guess it's Serie B, isn't it? Yeah, they're in Syria now, but they're in the bottom of Syria and they're in the dangers of being relegated if things don't change before the end of the season in the spring. Uh, that's the reason why there's... Not necessarily talks, but let's say they probably were like jokingly talks between the parties involved, I guess. And Drogba wouldn't be against it. I think that's the best way to put it. I think the option of him going back to London, not necessarily to play, but to have a couple months vacation with his family, then coming back to Montreal is probably the most beneficial option for all parties involved. And there was a great analogy made by a friend on Twitter saying, look... He has a body, like if you compare it to a car, his body looks great. The engine still turns great, but the warranty is almost over. Do you want to take that chance and bring it on the road the one extra time where you don't really have to? That, so, that's the question. So he, you're saying he's a Honda Civic that has 500,000 kilometers on it. And it's always run great. It's always done great performance, but you just never know when that one part's going to go and that's going to be it because it's going to be too expensive to replace it. That's what you're saying uh, Drogba is? Uh, Drogba has only one speed of play. He goes all out. And we're seeing when Montreal, he really has bought into the system and he's playing every single minute hard. Uh, just look at the game against Columbus. He did not. He wasn't efficient in his play and he was involved badly in the goals and because he wanted to be maybe too involved it was a uh, that little pressure of a playoff I don't know what happened but uh, there was a little something different he wanted maybe to do too much but it just shows 
how he plays hard. And do you want to take the chance for him to play in Syria, where he never played there before? It's one of the only leagues in the world, basically, where he haven't played before. It's a very physical, hard physical league that you can get your ankles broken in a, in a single instant. Do you want to take that chance that that happen and then ruins the season for Montreal, which is the main part of his contract because it's an 18-month contract. So the full season is supposed to play Montreal can be in jeopardy if he's loaned to Bologna. So I don't see it happening. I think it's just a publicity stint to maybe convince another striker to go help Bologna. I don't know, but I don't think it's going to happen. Did uh, Patrice Bernier make a, tra- a trip to, to Lourdes recently, Kevin? Has he visited a fountain or anything like that? I don't know, but it seems like the playoff, I don't know if it's the badge different that's on the shirt, uh, the smell of the air, if it's fall. I don't know what's different, but two goals in two games for the impact for Patrice Bernier in the playoff. Mr. Playoff, basically, uh, something happened. Uh, I don't know what. He was, He hadn't scored before 2013, before the goal uh, against Toronto in the first round, Wayne. So, and now it's a header, which you don't expect Patrice Bernier to be uh, not necessarily effective. You do like to be effective on corners, but it's not one thing he's known for. And he's not a goal scorer. He's not renowned to be a goal scorer. So two goals in two games, it cannot be a coincidence. And the way he scored the first goal, it was not a coincidence either. So uh, Patrice Bernier has become the heart and soul. We always knew he was, but now it's on the pitch as well. So uh, I think Bernier can lead this team far. Do you think Benito Floro has noticed? Do you think there's a chance we might see a call-up? Who knows? That might be uh, one of the reasons why Osario was not called up so to throw it back earlier on the show. So, I don't know. Patrice Bernier might want to uh, help Canada as well. He probably won't be there in 2018, but if he can help the team qualify to get there, why not? And there's maybe a little uh, a little chip at Benito Floro, a little, hey, I'm here, a little poke. Like, hey, don't forget about me. I can score the playoffs. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh, nice story from a Canadian perspective. There's not a lot of Canadians playing for the Canadian teams, a, a point that we have hammered home time after 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 time on this show. And after no time. After time. Uh, but when they do and they succeed, we want to highlight them. And I think Patrice Bernier, that's a story that goes beyond just Canadian story. It's a nice story from an older veteran player that uh, played, I believe, his 150th appearance in all competitions, all leagues for the Montreal Impact in that uh, playoff game against Toronto, I, I heard. So uh, nice story there. Um, second leg, Kevin, 2-1. Columbus did get that road goal. How worried are you by that road goal? When you look at all the possibilities of results, Majority of them sees Montreal move on. The dreaded one nothing loss in Columbus is the one thing you don't want to see. You lose 3-2, Montreal moves on. That's a result that if you want Montreal to lose, it has to be by that. All the other results, a draw, see Montreal moves on. A win by Montreal, which we did see in Columbus 2-1 earlier this season for the first win on the road in 18 months. It was in Columbus. It was at Mapfree Stadium. Montreal won 2-1. So uh, there is the history of Montreal doing well against Columbus. Can they do that on the road? There's a lot of possibilities that Montreal can move on for. So you just don't want to lose 1-0, Dwayne. Fair enough. Or 6-0 for that. Yeah, matter. exactly. A loss more, more than 1-0 will achieve the same result. But that 1-0, a loss, and so on is the dreaded result that you don't want. If Montreal scores early on, uh, I said on on. Uh, after the works, I was morning and after the works earlier this uh, week that if the 20 minutes of this game are going to be the most important, because if Montreal gets that away goal, 
Now, Columbus has to open up and has to go for it, and Montreal in a counterattack can be dangerous. So that first 20 minutes, if Columbus scores, then Columbus can control the game and sit back a little more and help their defense control Montreal. Let Montreal have the ball, and they're not necessarily used to it. So the first 20 minutes of this game, it's a cliche, but they are very important. All right, fair enough. Um, any other final thoughts? Who really stood out from, a, from an unsung perspective for you in that game for the impact? And, uh, and maybe even add a Columbus player if anyone one that, that really excited you about Columbus or feared or made you fear Columbus. Like, uh, well, what jumped out of you from a player perspective, Kevin? I really like Venegas when he came in the second half. He scored, first of all, the second goal, the game-winning goal. And it, it took some cojones to be able, on a breakaway with Didier Drogba, to shoot the ball and not pass it to him when he's all alone. That's not necessarily easy to do. And I think he was still a little angry about how he was subbed off in the season finale against Toronto. And the impact were on fire since that time. Uh, but he was subbed off because he wasn't getting implicated into the game. And he thought we could have time to get into the rhythm and ebb and flow. But uh, Morobiel is like, dude, you're not getting implicated. There's a huge gap. Josh William in front of you. You're not exploiting it. I'm subbing you off. And eventually they put Piotti in that situation. We also what happened with that 3-0 win. So Venegas was put back in that position at one of the 60-something minutes against Columbus. And took advantage of that space. Piatti was uh, be able to go a little more center and uh, calm things down, but Venegas was able to get that crucial goal that sees Montreal have an advantage because a 1-1 draw against Columbus at home. Going back to Columbus, you're almost into trouble. Now, at least you have the lead and the onus of play basically is on Columbus. Fair enough. All right, let's end the show today, Kevin, with with uh, five predictions. The five predictions are going to be what each of the final, like who's going to win the four series is an MLS. And we'll, we'll get a prediction for the Ottawa Minnesota game as well. And I'm going to start with you on the impact Columbus game, Kevin. It finishes two one for the crew over there, but Montreal moves on, on the now famous and very helpful for Montreal in 2015 away goal rule. All right. Seattle, Dallas. Dallas is able to win maybe 2-0 at home and move on. Dallas is a team that has a lot to prove in the playoff with their young roster. And I do feel that that loss has uh, shaken things up. And Oscar Perea is going to do everything in its power to win in Dallas. All right, we'll keep going with you. DC United, New York Red Bulls. Oh, the Red Bulls will win 2 3 nothing at home. DC United is, is really into trouble. I think it's the one team that's really in the deep right now in the playoff is DC United. They haven't had a shot on target in the last game. Will they even have one at Red Bull Arena? That's the question. All right, and uh, our friends out west, Vancouver and Portland. I think Vancouver gets a job done at home, one nothing, and moves on. And we'll end with our guest from today, Julian de Guzman and the Ottawa Fury. How do they do against Minnesota? Ottawa takes advantage of TD Place, wins a cracker of a game 3-2, and moves on. All right, I will go down my predictions. I think Ottawa will also win. I'm going to go in penalties with that one. It's going to be a 2-2 game. That's going to, it's going to be a 1-1 game. It's going to will it reach the keepers in the penalties, Dwayne? I, let's go with no. We're going to go <laughs> again with five. Um, I am going to keep uh, keep you know my normal uh, 
way of going. Vancouver is going to lose 2-0 to Portland, and the Whitecaps season will end. I think the D.C. United doesn't even stand a chance in hell. Uh, New York Red Bulls will win that one going away. I think Seattle, uh, I've been impressed with what Seattle's been doing in this playoff run so far. I think Seattle's going to pull the upset over Dallas. Uh, let's go with a 2-0 two, two Seattle win outright in that game. And I can't go against my preseason pick. I think the crew went 2-0. And the impact season ends there. And that means that our next Canadian review will just be a playoff review. Um, unless we're talking about the NASL, of course. So maybe we'll keep calling it the Canadian review. All right, Kevin. Until then, until we find out how wrong I am, say goodbye. To S Extra on Friday. Look out for many other shows on the Sports Podcasting Network and on Canadian Soccer News. And until next time, have a great soccer.